Outside the Tank is not affiliated with Shark Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. That's Joe. Joe, what did you ask me right before we uh, started recording this? I wanted to know whether this was the pregame or the postgame, because usually we do the pregame first. Yeah, why? Do you know? Because the postgame comes afterward. That's exactly right. Yeah, so I've got those notes on the back, so should I use my pregame notes? Yes, we'll do yeah. we'll do the introduction before we do the conclusion. That's right. It's been a long day. It's been, it's been <laughs> a long day. We still have more to go. Yeah. We, uh, we, we keep a busy schedule, but, you know... We are busy entrepreneurs. And, and, and for those that don't know us personally, we're not smart people, but we work very, very hard. <laughs> so, you know, we, we rarely – I said this earlier. Uh, I was doing – I was on a panel discussion on Clubhouse and I said, you know, my first stab at something is usually way off. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how you and I are in business. You know, our, our initial ideas and what we do, they're, they're not good, but we work hard and we eventually figure them out. You know, I had uh, – a friend of a friend called me yesterday. People call for uh, free Which coaching. Which friend? Huh? My one friend. Okay. You know, no, it's not the other friend. No, it's not, I okay. only have one. But anyway, uh, people call for pro bono free coaching, which I try to keep to a minimum because usually my free coaching is worth about what it costs. However, he said- You know said, what the problem is with you too? Because <laughs> sometimes I hear these calls. <laughs> people just, they, they spill their guts on I you. Know. These aren't like, hey, how do I generate more sales in my business? And They're like that, really, really deep personal stuff. It is. And, it and I don't know, you just have a face where people just want to- That's what my wife says. Beth, open up and- yeah. Beth, my wife, says, why do people tell you their deepest- darkest crappiest stuff i go i don't know but this guy asked me because you're kind of rich how'd you get so rich and i don't really consider myself that rich compared to like a mark cuban or a mr wonderful but i i you know what i told him what i don't know <laughs> i don't know you know i do have a little money but i don't know how i got because i'm not that bright Maybe it's because we work hard. We okay. do. That's it. That's all I can come up with is we work very, very hard. So the moral of the story is, you know, for the past, gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's coming up on almost a year now. But you and I, every single week, um, are on a ridiculous, stupid number of Zoom calls. Yeah. But – we're building a business and some conversations are great. Some are terrible, but our theory is if we keep talking to people and we keep learning and we keep asking questions, we're going to learn really fast. We're going to pivot really fast and we're going to figure out what in the hell we're doing a lot quicker than if we just sat here and wondered and wished and hoped and strategic planned till we're blue in the face. <laughs> At some point you just got to work gotta and get the out work. there. Yeah. You got to do the work. You got to work on your business model. You got to work on your ideal client, your ideal partner your ideal team members so so uh quick housekeeping we appreciate everyone listening uh we appreciate your support telling your friends five star ratings uh wherever you listen to this subscribing all that stuff um if you want to check out the full 
Outside the Tank website. It's outsidethetank.com. You can also sign up for our upcoming book, Entrepreneurial Landmines, uh, which is all the mistakes that early stage entrepreneurs make as they're scaling and growing their business. We just did our final read through on the book. I, I'm really proud of it. It's a, it's a really good resource for anyone that's scaling a business and doesn't believe that they figured it all out. So we're both very excited for that. Um, but you can sign up for a free copy. You'll get uh, emailed the audio um, and electronic copy of the book as soon as it's released over the next few weeks. So we appreciate you listening to the show and, and we hope you dig what we're doing here because we're trying to you know, talk to these really cool entrepreneurs and extract as much knowledge and lessons and regrets and ideas and best practices from them so that you, the entrepreneur that's listening to this, can actually apply it to your business. And, and I always yeah. laugh when you and I are doing these interviews and there's just sometimes where we'll hear something, we'll go, well, I got to write that down. <laughs> it doesn't go on our notes. For those of you that are watching the YouTube show, it doesn't go on our show notes. It goes in our to-do list for our business because we're just like, yeah, we got to do that. That's, That's a good one. such a great idea. So we love this. We're, we're, uh, we're learning every episode and every conversation we have. We hope you are as well. So Wiley, Rumple blankets. These are indoor and outdoor blankets. Higher end, really, really cool, awesome product. Um, he went into Shark Tank. By asking, the way, they're made out of plastic bottles. <laughs> he went in asking $600,000 for 4%. Yes, and it was interesting there. Uh, he, uh, Cuban asked why he was here. I, uh, Cuban felt like he was sitting on tons and tons of cash, uh, and he was. They had, they had raised a great deal of money. Um, $3.5 million cash in the bank. And Cuban, you know, he, he, he gave Mark a story, but Cuban said, I don't buy your story. So it was kind of a rough appearance. Um, uh, the, I think that ultimately uh, he did a good job, but, and he, there was an offer, but he passed on it. Yeah. So no deal. Um, these are $100 blankets, uh, $25 landed, selling at $50 for wholesale, online, Amazon, REI. Um, yeah, Wiley's killing it. And yeah. uh, really cool entrepreneur. And I think you're really going to enjoy really, this interview. Really great guy. Lots of lots of good takeaways from this. So we're excited to get into it. We learned a lot. Good guy. Wiley Robinson Rumple. All right, let's get into our interview with Wiley. All right, we are here with Wiley Robinson. Wiley, welcome to Outside the Tank. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're pumped to get into this conversation, man. You, uh, you certainly walked into the tank with uh, a viable, um, thriving business. And so um, unlike, you know, a lot of people that go into Shark Tank, you were a little further along in your journey and, and really looking forward to, you know, hearing about the story and what went into the business and, and what's happened since and the future growth plan. So it should be a lot of fun. But, you know, first, let's start off at the beginning. You know, and we got a little of this on TV, but where did the idea come from for these blankets and, and walk us through the creation of the product? Sure. So the idea for Rumple uh, came about on a ski trip I was on with a friend in 2012. And uh, we got stuck in our car. Um, we were planning on skiing the next day and we were going to sleep in the car. And we woke up the next morning and 
it had been like the coldest night ever on record in, in the area. And our car was completely frozen, foot of new snow on the ground. We were several miles up the dirt road. Um, really no possibility for us to get out of there um, with the car. And it was too far to walk into town. We had no cell service. And we pretty much had to just wait around for somebody to show up and, uh, and you know, go back to town and get help. Um, and so we bundled up in our sleeping bags and just sat there and waited, cracked open a little whiskey and um, hung out for a few hours while we waited somehow, for somebody to show Somehow up. I knew there was going to be alcohol involved. I, don't ask me how. Of course. That's where all the best ideas start. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we, we got to talking about how our sleeping bags were actually keeping us pretty comfortable despite being in this kind of sketchy, scary situation. And uh, we really loved the materials on our sleeping bags. We liked them more than our comforters back home. So we made a pact to make a sleeping bag blanket when we, when we got out of there. And that's what we did. We, um, we got back home. We were living in San Francisco at the time. And uh, we moved or we, we got back there and visited a local fabric store and grabbed some, some uh, technical fabrics and, and sewed up the first rumple. What was the first rumple? Um, and that was pretty much the end of it. And a number of our friends said, this is a cool product. I'd like to have one of these. You guys should start a business here. And we were still pretty unsure if this is a good idea, if this is a viable idea. So we decided to do a Kickstarter. And um, this was right around the time Kickstarter was, was kind of blown up. You know, a lot, of, a lot of campaigns were generating a lot of revenue. Um, so we thought, there's no risk. Let's, let's give it a go. And uh, the campaign launched in December of 2013. And we ended up generating about a quarter million dollars of pre-sales in 30 days for the product. Um, so that told us a quarter, that million really viable on idea. a quarter million on Kickstarter. That's right. Yeah. It was actually, it was actually like 230 K or 220 K or something. And that's, then there was about gotta, 30 of backing. That's gotta be like in the top, the very top tier of Kickstarters, right? Like walk us the through that. Cause, number we've heard, yeah, yeah. Cause a lot of folks have said, Oh, 20,000 and we're off and mm -hmm. running or 50,000. So that's gotta be, you know, I, I guess how good is that relative to Kickstarter? And then what do you attribute that to? Well, at the time, it was really good. Um, there have since been a number of campaigns that have done much better than that, you know, several million dollars in, in crowdfunding, which is just incredible. Um, but at the time, it was pretty high up there. Um, it was one of the highest for uh, apparel and design, which is the category we were in. Um, and honestly, the way we did it was just through our own network. You know, we, we published on our own social media accounts. We sort of begged our friends to repost about it. Um, and uh, we got really lucky with some good press. Um, the, campaign, the campaign was funded in about 24 hours. So our original goal was, was $20,000. That immediately got hit in the first day. And that really kind of like snowballed the whole thing. So that, that generated a lot of momentum. Uh, we got a lot of good press right around the campaign, largely because of the success of it, the early success. And that just continued to fuel the, the success of it. So um, definitely a lot of luck there. Uh, you know, I think we had a good product and a good campaign, um, but we definitely didn't have reach by any means. It was, it was me and my co-founder, just our personal reach, which was, you know, not much. Um, so yeah, definitely some luck paired with, uh, with a good product and a good, a good message. You raised quite a bit of money prior to going into Shark Tank. When did that occur and, and what was that money used for? So we've done uh, two seed rounds, um, two relatively small seed rounds uh, that happened in 2015 and in, in 2017. Um, the first one was just initial kind of um, growth money. Um, so we raised a small round. It allowed my co-founder and I to start paying ourselves and hire two employees. 
Um, and then in 17, uh, there was a little bit of a, of a hiccup um, in management, and we need to do sort of an emergency fundraise to buy back some equity um, from my co-founder. Uh, he and I kind of had differing opinions about how to grow the company, and, and uh, so we, we resolved to um, part ways, but he wanted the company to buy back some of his ownership, which is totally fair. So I had to kind of circle up and, and grab some money from our investor pool and um, offer to buy his, his equity out. Uh, and then, and then in 2018, we did a proper Series A priced round, um, and that was with venture capital, uh, private equity, you know, real institutional investors. And so, in total, we raised just shy of five million dollars prior to going on Shark Tank. And then, what prompted you to want to go on Shark Tank, and and what was that process like? Yeah, it, it really was about wanting to expand into the sports licensing channel. You know, right now, Rumpel is sold largely in outdoor and adjacent lifestyle channels. Um, you know, snow, ski, camp, run, uh, those, those types of channels. And those are, those are generally the customers that we attract as well. Um, but we see a big opportunity in sports licensing. So, you know, imagine like team logos on our products sold in stadium for outdoor use. Um, the challenge there is that it's just a really different business model. There's different margin structures, the royalties you got to pay to leagues. Um, it's a different, you know, sales process. It's a different marketing message. The product is slightly different. It's really a different business. I mean, it's, it's got the same brand name and the, the DNA of the product is similar, but the margin structures, everything is much different. So I, I didn't want to distract our current team with, with this new business unit. The money that we have raised really isn't for this new business unit. Our investors, you know, weren't made aware that this was a growth opportunity for us. They invested in us to continue growing the outdoor channel. So the idea in going on Shark Tank was to actually really kind of isolate this opportunity and find additional funding for this new opportunity that was independent of our current business. And and they just weren't buying that. You know, I, I think yeah, their, I mean, contention, their contention was, yeah, you call up the NFL, you slap on a Kansas City Chief logo, you make it red and yellow, and then you sell a so, billion of them. <clears throat> Cuban actually said, I don't buy the story, and then further challenged you, and I, I, I want your perception whether you feel this was a fair challenge or not. He asked you why you were even there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, question. <laughs> as I'm sure you guys know, there's a lot that doesn't, make the, the cut. The right. edit. Um, I was actually in, in the tank for about 90 minutes, um, about an hour and a half, which is kind of when they ask you to wrap it up. And I think the edit is about eight minutes. So there's a lot that doesn't make it in there. Um, it's not, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't portrayed incorrectly. You know, Cuban definitely uh, questioned why we were there. We have a really large cash balance for a business of our size. Um, there is the ability for us to hire a team to go do this, use our cash to do this. Um, it's definitely not as easy as calling up the NFL and slapping a, a Chiefs logo on there and yeah. you're off to the races. That is not the case at all. So, you know, there's some, some, I would say that the reality is sort of in between kind of what we're talking about here where, yes, we can definitely go out and hire a team to go do this and, and build this business unit out. Um, but it's not easy. You know, it's definitely still a lot of work. There's a lot of nuances, a lot of players that kind of touch the product and take slices out of it, out of the margin. So, my thought in going on Shark Tank was specifically with someone like Cuban, he could likely fast track to the league decision makers. And um, that was really the, the impetus for going on there. And also the fact to get additional funding to come in and, uh, and earmark those dollars for this business unit. So, um, 
you know, I think that I think that there's still a viable case for Rumpel going on the program, even though we do have a strong cash balance. And it's really just to isolate and and keep the current team and the current business structure focused on what we do best, which is mostly outdoor and adjacent channels. Well, uh, follow up question: Winding the clock back, um, would you have positioned or presented what you wanted differently in hindsight, or are you fine with the way you position your needs? I think I probably should have brought the fact that I was there for a sports licensing approach. Uh, I should have brought that more to the forefront of the pitch. You know, we were well into talking about the business success and, you know, what we were doing revenue wise and where our product expansion looked like and all that stuff before I really got into saying, I'm here because I want to pursue sports licensing. Um, and, and it's tough to actually bring that stuff up. You know, you've got your pitch and that's, that's uh, rehearsed and everything, you know, what you're going to say there. And then you just get into it and immediately, you know, deals start coming out and questions start coming in. And it's actually tough to, to drive the conversation in that setting because they're just hitting you with questions nonstop. Yeah. And so you have to respond uh, to that. Sometimes it, uh, I feel like it could even be a triangulation. You could have two, three offers, similar, yeah. slightly different offers coming at you at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what happened. I mean, if you, if you have a, if you have a business that's shown traction and, and you have strong financials and results, um, generally the sharks want to participate. And, and that was the case with Rumpel with the exception of Cuban, of course. Um, and so we did get a number of people interested. Lori was out pretty quickly, but, but everybody else was interested in, in uh, doing a deal. And ultimately, you know, the valuation that they put on the company, I didn't agree with. But it was that case where there was a little bit of a triangulation and they were sort of bidding against each other. And um, that was that was an interesting thing to navigate for sure. <laughs> well, there was and it was, you know, a lot of these deals are pretty simple, right? It's this amount of money for this amount of equity. I mean, there's royalties floating around. There's debt, there's equity, you know. So as you take a deep breath and and play it back in your mind and maybe you watch the pitch again, do you feel like ultimately you made the right move? I do. I, I think that ultimately, yes, the, the deal got sort of complicated on my episode, but ultimately it comes down to the very simple valuation number. What value are they placing on the company? And for me, that just did not line up with where I think the company should be at. Um, and, and also, you know, where our shareholders don't think it should be at. I mean, people put money in, real money into the company in 2018 at a valuation that was three times what was being offered by the Sharks. So the company's grown quite a bit since then. And it would just be irresponsible of me to go backwards on that valuation two years after we had raised institutional money. So the show airs um, October of 2020. What were the first couple days like after you aired? You know, what happened to the business? How did life change for you? It's well, for one, it was just really exciting. I mean, I should go, I should just start there and say it was a super cool thing for me and for the team. And, um, you know, this was our first national TV appearance. Um, obviously a lot of new eyeballs, new, new people exposed to the brand. Um, but yeah, we definitely saw a big traffic spike while the, while the episode was airing, um, big revenue increase, uh, for a couple of days after the airing as well. Um, not as large of a kind of spike as, as a couple of other folks have told me that have been on the program. I think that that's largely because Rumpel is already at some degree of maturity before airing. Some of the other businesses I spoke to, they were like near obscurity and then they went on Shark Tank and all of a sudden, you know, 300 or 3000% growth um, overnight. 
you know, which isn't, which is a, a different story if you're sort of starting from zero. Um, but the, the, the way that we talk to customers, the, the way we're going to continue making products, the sales channels we're targeting, that really hasn't changed. Uh, we just view this as an opportunity for more people to be exposed to the brand. Um, we definitely have a, a digital marketing funnel that um, is specifically targeted towards Shark Tank visitors. So that come in, people that come in during an airing or, or within a week of an airing, um, they might get you know, served advertisements that are more Shark Tank focused people that come in off cycle there uh but generally speaking it, it was just a really good booster for awareness um it did increase a, a revenue spike but not anything too insane by our standards and um and the business is carrying on as it as it has before now i should say that you know the the episode was taped in june or july or something and then aired in october we've actually since made a lot of headway on the sports licensing channel since the taping so went in there, didn't get the deal, and then but immediately came back and said, "Okay, we didn't get the deal, but I still think we should pursue this." So, so we are kind of going back to the plan of using our cash to to expand into this channel. Yeah, what what can you share with us about that? I mean, you know, where are you in that process? Yeah, we're going to be launching with two leagues this year. Um, I can't share which leagues they are, but I'm super excited about them. Um, they both, I think, are a good uh, customer fit a good use case fit in terms of the time of year, um, you know, using it outside when it's cold and the designs that we've come up with for these, these teams are really cool. Um, they bear team logos, but they also have kind of like rumpled DNA branding and, and aesthetics, um, throughout. So it, the, the concepts are really awesome. I think people are going to love them. Are you interested in pursuing anything other than sports like, uh, you know, Disney or other entities like that out there? In the future, yes. Um, but we, you know, we're still a small company and we try to be very focused and really try to limit skew proliferation. So um, just expanding into these two leagues, it's adding a lot of new SKUs. Um, and we try to keep our SKU count low so we can buy deep in the winning SKUs and not have a lot of excess that we need to liquidate at the end of the season. So we want to be kind of, um, you know, dipping our toes into this without going headfirst into the deep end with licensing. There's obviously a much different margin structure with a licensed product than there is with a non-licensed. And uh, we want to make sure that the program is margin enhancing for the, for the total company. Um, and so we think that going in kind of with these, with these two leagues first and then expansion in the future, um, we'll kind of take it day by day and see how things go. So, you know, you obviously walked in there with more cash in the bank than most businesses. You had raised money. You had really impressive sales. So a lot of people are going to look at, you know, you and your business and go, oh, he has it all figured out. You know, he's killing it. <laughs> but we as entrepreneurs know that's not true. We know there's challenges and there's issues and there's waking up in the middle of the night with, you know, uh, a cold sweat. So, you know, from your standpoint, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing and really trying to tackle as an entrepreneur right now? Well, the most recent challenge uh, was definitely just navigating 2020. I mean, for a myriad of reasons, 2020 was super tough for a lot of businesses. Um, for us, the challenge that we faced was around March when COVID, you know, became a, a big thing. We reforecasted the year uh, down about 30% from what we thought it was going to be adjusted all of our purchase orders with our supplier accordingly um, and and really cut down on expenses. We didn't have to lay anybody off, but we renegotiated a lot of our vendor contracts. 
Um, we did a, a whole variety of things to actually reduce our cost structure. But about a month or two into COVID, uh, we started realizing that the COVID environment is not really tough on Rumble. Like people are really focused on outdoor recreation. That's good for us. People are focused on comfort. That's good for us. People are focused, you know, they're staying at home. So having home comforts all the time, that's, that's good for us. So we actually realized that there were some tailwinds created by COVID for this brand. And at that time we had to reforecast again um, and, and change our purchase orders again. So we forecasted back up um, and, and, you know, we thought we were in a good position and then we got word we were going to be on Shark Tank. And I was like, okay, well, well now we need to, now we need to get more inventory because we know this is going to cause a spike. So we did everything we could. Um, we ended up landing three chase purchase orders with our supplier by the end of the year, but it still was not enough inventory for the demand that had been created both through COVID and also because of Shark Tank and also just because of good tactics that the brand has been doing. Um, we've just come out with a lot of good products lately, a lot of good stories. And so it's, it's been driving demand. So a lot of things happened that actually changed our outlook on the year. And we were just trying to service demand throughout the year. So we left a lot of money on the table, I think, in 2020. Um, we had a great year. We grew quite a bit. But I think there could have been a lot more there um, if, you know, if 2020 had been a little more linear. It was just so up and down. It was really tough to forecast for. So that was the most recent, most recent challenge that we faced. And we're still facing it. When I was watching the episode, I was thinking about everyone sometime in April or May of last year buying their first RV and hitting the road. <laughs> you couldn't even find an RV in a lot. So I'm, I'm thinking about that, uh, watching the episode, thinking that must have buoyed or, or, or helped sales. Everyone's out there camping and enjoying the outdoors. I wonder what lessons can you share relevant to uh, your co-founder and the transition away from them? Are there things there that in the form of lessons in your mind that you could share with others who either are thinking of taking on a partner or are in a partnership that, that maybe isn't a fit or isn't working well? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different, uh, I could talk about this for a while for sure. Um, I would say generally speaking, if you're thinking about bringing in a partner um, you really want to find somebody that complements your skill set. Um, my partner and I had had very similar skill sets, and I would say that where we were both deficient, the other didn't make up for. Um, we were both designers. We both had kind of like a you know design engineering mindset, um, and we needed people in other aspects of the business. And uh, really, you want to find a partner that kind of is is whatever you don't have. Um, that would be my recommendation. And then uh, if you do have to go through a, a challenging split uh, like we did, um, you know, and you ultimately are going to be the one that, that kind of moves forward with the business, um, just be, you know, use, use as much empathy as you can in communicating to uh, the other uh, partner that, you know, this is, this is cause they're, they're getting sort of the rug pulled out from under them. You know, they've, they've put a lot into the business. They have their identity wrapped up in everything and, and if the the business is the business, the right business decision is to remove them from the business, that's going to be a that's going to be a you know punch to the gut. So just make sure you you um, go into the negotiations, which you'll surely have with empathy, and um, you know try to try to make a come to an agreement that's both good for the company, but also as good as it can be for the uh, departing co-founder. Yeah, you know, 
as I was watching it, I mean, it felt like you and Blake were just a natural <laughs> partnership. I don't you even kind of look alike, you know, and I'm just in there. I'm like, <laughs> they're going to have to do a deal together. That's why he's on there in this episode pitching to him. What, was it especially tough not doing a deal with him or did you just look at the five of them as five investors? So I only found out that Blake was going to be the guest shark a couple of days before the taping. Um, and I actually found out which sharks in general are going to be part of the episode a couple of days before the taping. You know, there's the, there's the staples. Um, and uh, Barbara wasn't part of our episode. Um, but I was really interested at first with Cuban, obviously because of his connection to professional sports. And I thought he would have the ability to fast track a lot of these, these licenses. Um, so he was my original target. And then when I found out Blake, you know, I, I researched him as much as I could. And I was like, all right, this guy is definitely going to get what we're doing here. And it, as it turned out, he had a bunch of the products already, which was great. Um, he was, he was a strong advocate for the product. He was a supporter of the brand. He had purchased a few at REI and just recently used them. Um, so that was pretty cool to hear. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I look up to him as an entrepreneur, you know, like he's, he's built with Tom's and all the other businesses he's built. He's built really smart businesses. Um, and, with Tom's especially, you know, he gives back a ton. It's just a good business. Their B Corp certified business, Rumpel actually just became a B Corp certified business after the taping. So that's sort of new news for us. Um, but yeah, I thought that that could be a great fit. I didn't really know how much licensing exposure he had. I think that uh, when his negotiation and his offer started coming out, it became clear that he would actually be able to help the core business, you know, help with our wholesale footprint and things like that, which wasn't exactly well why I was there, but it did, of course, become intriguing to me um, as he started talking about it. But yeah, I think, I mean, right off the bat, Cuban and Blake were, after learning about Blake, those two were the ones that I wanted to be talking to. As you've been able to grow this brand, what are some of the marketing tactics or methods that have really served you well over the years? Because you've, you've obviously built this into a significant brand. Where have you had successes as you've grown over time? So I guess I'll tie marketing tactics to just general brand discipline. Um, I mean, it's all connected, of course, but for Rumpel, I think the key to success has been the focus. Um, there, certainly for the first couple of years, there was the ability for us to go in a variety of different directions. You know, we could make sleeping bags and jackets and backpacks and tents and all sorts of outdoor gear. Um, but we decided largely, you know, because of, because of wanting to have a clear message and also what I mentioned about not wanting to proliferate our SKU count too much. Um, we really said we're doing blankets and we're going to be the best at blankets. So we're going to have the broadest print assortment of anybody out there. And we're going to really lead in what we see as an emerging category. And so that's really permeated into all of our marketing communications, how we talk about the brand, how we, how we show up, what our content looks like, what our messaging sounds like. And so I think that that has been the sort of the number one thing that's differentiated Rumpel from other companies that have produced a similar product. Would you agree that sometimes as an entrepreneur, it's tough because I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure over the years, people have said to you, and these are people that, you know, don't run businesses and, and wouldn't be able to, but they tell you, oh, you need to make jackets, you need to make hats, you need to make uh, boxer shorts, I don't know. But I'm sure you over the years got peppered with so much of that. And if you don't have that discipline, you end up with, uh, you know, 500 SKUs and zero brand identity. Has that been yeah. challenging? Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always listen to those, those 
I don't know, I don't know if they're requests or uh, inquiries or whatever, but or <laughs> or um, something else. But anyway, I always listen to them because there's there's probably some insight and people are sharing their idea with me, of course, because they feel strongly about it. Um, and I think that yes, like to answer your question, yes, I've been I've been positioned with that many many times over the years. I think that when I my ears do perk up is when I talk to somebody that's thinking about it from a pretty sophisticated way and there's a why behind their their request to make more product like if their if their why is you know I've got four blankets and I'm just hooked on this brand and I want to know what the next thing is from the brand you can increase my value as a consumer to you that's when it becomes interesting to me it's like all right well if we could get every one of our customers buying four or five blankets that'd be great but those are advocates of the brand and we still need to make sure we're servicing their demand. So um, it's, if, if it's sort of like a strategic approach to why we should make something, it's more intriguing to me than just like somebody saying, I think this would be cool and you should make it. Yeah. <clears throat> quick question on distribution, the mix of distribution. Can you share with us what it looks like now, Amazon versus outlets like REI and what the mix is now and, and where you'd like it to be? Yeah, so during COVID, we shifted to a lot more direct. Um, historically, we've been about you know forty percent direct, and then sixty percent other channels. And other channels would include U.S. wholesale. It would include um, corporate sales, corp custom sales. We we sell a lot of product to businesses that want to like put their logo on the top corner of the blanket and give it as gifts and things. Um, and that really shifted to about sixty forty. Um, during COVID. So we're now doing majority direct sales. And we, by the way, loop in Amazon with our direct channel. We do that as a direct customer because um, we manage that channel. And so um, it's, it's shifted quite a bit. I like the shift being more geared towards, towards direct. Um, it's obviously a closer connection to the customer. You're really touching the customer. You have a direct relationship with them. You're able to understand more about them, more about what they're using the product for, more about what they want from your brand. Um, but that being said, retail is really important for us too. You know, like our product is very tactile. And so um, having it in store with the ability for somebody to touch it before they buy it is really valuable. We also sell more units in wholesale still than we do in direct. Um, the margin is lower because we're selling it at wholesale pricing versus full MSRP. Right. But we move more units through wholesale channels. So I like the idea of keeping it, you know, maybe slightly skewing direct, but I think right now we're, we're well diversified. We're not too reliant on any channel. And uh, I think I'd like to maintain our current ratios more or less to what they are. Will the sports licensing change that? For instance, are most of those sold in team shops and online uh, in those team shops, or do you in anticipate a similar mix with those products? Uh, so we're going to start out with pretty limited distribution. We'll be selling on our website. We'll be uh, selling through Fanatics and a couple of affiliated Fanatics accounts. Um, uh, Barnes & Noble has a relationship with Fanatics um, and does a lot of bookstores, college bookstores. So that's of interest to us as well. Um, but And then there's like, you know, some really interesting national chains like Dick's Sporting Goods could be a really good target for products like this. Um, but we want to make sure that the distribution is really tight to start. So we understand this customer. We, we haven't really sold to this customer before, so we need to understand them. Yeah. I mean, I'd imagine a lot of that outdoor crowd, I mean, they may, I mean, obviously there's some crossover, but a lot of those campers aren't NBA fans or NHL fans or whatever league it is. So I, I got to think that you are really learning a whole new target. Persona, yeah. yeah the, a whole persona, new persona. The, the data is going to, tell a different story. 
Yeah. And that's what we got to learn. Um, it might be that there's actually a huge crossover and it might be that there's tons of people that spend time, you know, in the outdoors with their family, but also like going home and watching a game. Um, but we just don't know that yet. So that's why we want to keep the distribution tight and learn as much as we can. So as you look back, you know, at your entrepreneurial journey, I guess, what are some of the themes or lessons that the entrepreneurs listening to this can learn from you? Um, well, I'm, I'm a first time entrepreneur, so that I should start by saying that, um, this whole thing has been a huge learning process for me. Uh, prior to starting Rumple, I had managed one employee in my life, um, in my career. And so management and, 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 uh, you know, managing employees has definitely been a big learning curve for me. Um, I would say that my, my advice to entrepreneurs would be to make sure you really leverage your network. You know, especially if you're a first time entrepreneur, you definitely don't know everything. Um, in fact, you know, very, very little, and there's tons of people that do know a lot more than you, and you shouldn't be afraid to ask for help because, um, they won't be afraid to give it. You know, I, I still get asked very often, um, by people starting businesses, what they would recommend I do. And, and I credit them for reaching out and telling me, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing here. How can you help? Um, so I would definitely recommend leveraging your network as best as possible to give some insight and answer some of the easy questions, easy for them questions that are going to be tough for you. And final question, where's the best place for people to buy Rumple blankets? And then where can they follow you on social media? Sure. Our website is www.rumple.com, R-U-M-P-L. And our social handle across all platforms is GoRumple. Um, we're also sold in a bunch of big retail accounts like REI and Nordstrom and Zappos and Free People. Um, so you can also pick up the product there. Um, any of those channels would be great. Well, my wife said we need new blankets for our new <laughs> living room couch and I need to stop using the uh, ratty shitty ones I currently use. I got you a blanket. So I'm going to I'm going to give her the link. I'm going to say, "Hey, why yeah. are you the Steelers blanket?" No, that, that's in the basement. She barely lets me keep that in the basement. Oh. But I'm going to give her I'm going to give her your website. I'm going to say Wiley's a cool guy, so buy whatever you want. You know, it's funny that you and I regret saying that. But. Uh, my wife, and I, Beth and I were looking at the site last night oh who are you interviewing tomorrow and i said this really cool guy rumple and so we looked and and she's so it, she's placing an order so we'll be owners of a couple Perfect. of rumple blankets i think it's a great product i uh and we wish you so much success thank you i really appreciate that awesome wiley thank you so much for joining us we appreciate it thanks for having me All right. Great interview with Wiley. I had a number of takeaways. You did as well. Joe, you'll go first. And again, for those that are new to the show, uh, we always take copious notes of our favorite ideas and action items while we do these interviews. And then we just like to do a little post-game uh, talk where we... <laughs> what was that? I wanted to see your notes. <laughs> My notes, my notes are on my lap. What the hell's wrong with you? Hey, if you're listening to this, he jumped about two foot in the air. I tried to steal his notes. Yeah. He steals my notes and looks at them and takes my ideas. When we do, so for our Growth 10 community, we'll do these 30-minute uh, live talks on, uh, on Facebook Live. And uh, 
Sometimes I'll just peek over <laughs> and I'll look at his notes and I'll tell his story and then he gets frustrated because he has nothing to say. Uh, so don't look at my notes. I won't look at you. You share your takeaways and then I'll share my you takeaways. Were, I wasn't quick enough on the draw. Yeah. So, don't ever try to do that again, <laughs> especially when my notes are sitting on my lap. Oh, uh, son of a gun. I hope you watch this on YouTube. That was funny. Um, okay, so my first postgame comment is about brand discipline. They really think a lot about the Rumple brand, and they try to stay true to what they're great at. So they're best at blankets. There's a lot of focus on their brand, and there's a lot of different ways they can go. What we call that is the shiny business object syndrome, SBO for short, because I love acronyms, Tom. I didn't know if you knew that about me. Love acronyms. He is acronyms for everything. SBO. So shiny business objects, that's a new acronym for you, acronym freaks. But I really like the idea that they were staying very close to the discipline of what they did well and making sure their brand reflected that. I wrote down brand success equals focus. And he had discipline in the SKUs, okay, which means there aren't going to be 875 different styles and their focus was making a great blanket not trying to be everything to everyone not rolling out you know hundreds of different products but saying we're just going to make a damn good blanket yeah and it it and it shows that when you when you listen to a guy like that and, and again it's easy to have a little success and they've had a lot of success it's, it's easy to add SKUs, to get off target, to venture out. Uh, they stay very true to uh, what they're great at, and there's, you know, there's just a lot to that. The second and uh, final point that I thought was so uh, salient is that they want to learn as much as they can about the consumer in general, but even more so their customer. They spend a great deal of time trying to understand what where the consumer market is going, but specifically they listen to their customer very carefully to their customer, what their customer likes, doesn't like. And that's not often the case with entrepreneurs that, that we talk to. A couple other things I had here. Um, do not devalue the brand. Uh, the power of licensing, I thought that was was really interesting. Uh, leveraging your network and being willing to ask for help. And uh, the last thing was just finding a partner that complements your skill set. Yeah. Yeah, they've done a great job. Wiley, Robinson, Rumpel. These are blankets that could go anywhere. Durable, wow. waterproof. <laughs> no, and I got to tell you, I am so jealous of someone that has found a great business partner. <laughs> I'm still looking for one, too. <laughs> well, this was a fun episode. Wiley's a, a great entrepreneur. Uh, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to give us five stars. Make sure to tell your friends. Uh, make sure to reach out to these entrepreneurs and thank them for being on the show and connect with them on LinkedIn. They're all really, really nice people. Um, so don't be shy if, if you know one of them would be cool to connect with in any way. And the last thing I'll leave you with is, uh, you know, we always like to let people know about what we do uh, in our in our real jobs 
if you will. This podcast is sponsored by Growth Ted, your virtual home for entrepreneurship. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Believe it or not, we're not full-time podcast hosts. Thank God, because I don't even know if we're that good at it. We're having fun, though. I don't think we're that good. Yeah, but this is not (laughs) full-time. So, yeah, what we actually do is we put really, really cool, nice killer entrepreneurs together on a monthly basis in groups of 10. They meet virtually for a half day once a month and they have access to our entire network of entrepreneurs and community throughout the country. So they learn and they grow fast. And that's, that's what they tell us. You know, without growth 10, some of them have told us that they wouldn't be a shadow of the business in terms of infrastructure, knowledge, leadership, capability, people uh, get better when they come together and help each other. And that's what Growth 10 is all about. So if you're an entrepreneur and you want to grow your business faster and you don't want to have to figure every single thing out by yourself, go check out growth10.com. We got so many great tribes throughout the country and we'd love to find the perfect one for you. We have some of the best practice leaders. I, I uh, can't believe they actually want to work with us. I know. We're, we're so blessed. We have a family of practice leaders that are just awesome to work with. They're, you know, they're now over a relatively short period of time, they're becoming our friends or at least my friends. They really like me. Most of them. That's well, they, they, they feel bad. They, <laughs> they're like, oh, Joe has two friends. I'll be your third friend. So, no, but the, I'll, I'll tell you, we, we, we joke about it, but we're serious. We, we've been very, very, very fortunate to attract some incredible practice leaders um, that we're just so blessed to have as part of the Growth 10 family. So, um, check it out. Tom at growth10.com, Joe at growth10.com. Always happy to have a conversation, point you in the right direction, do whatever we can do to help you. So thanks for listening to the show. We'll see you again soon.